Hello and welcome to The Political Notebook. I'm your host, Billy Robb. I'm a high school teacher. And I'm Robert Robb, an editorial columnist for the Arizona Republic and Billy's dad. This week on The Political Notebook, um, wow, there's there's so much going on right now, it's kind of hard to keep straight sometimes. And uh, I, I imagine it's hard for you to keep straight, uh, being this a, a full-time job. For, for those of us with jobs, it can be overwhelming, I think. Um, Especially because you know now the twenty-four hour news cycle, you got seems like all of these th- things that hit have a sense of urgency and immediacy with everything. And many of us seems like form interpretations and opinions based sometimes on just on just headlines. Who has time to read everything uh, all the time? So I want to talk this week about just how to process news in the modern age, and then and then zoom into how some of these recent stories are being depicted and and how that's shaping public opinion versus how how you're looking at them right now. And just since the last podcast last week, all of these things have happened. Michael Flynn, uh, national Se- former National Security Advisor of Trump, was indicted for lying to the FBI. The tax bill passed through the Senate. Uh, North Korea tested another nuclear weapon. The Republican National Convention donated money, and Trump also endorsed Roy Moore in Alabama, a Senate candidate who's been... Um, accused pretty credibly multiple times uh, for sexually molesting um, underage girls. Uh, Al Franken resigned just today. Um, and then a couple days ago, gosh, maybe it was just yesterday, Trump recognized, or was that today? I don't even know. Trump recognizes Jerusalem as the capital uh, of Israel. So... Uh, and each one of these just takes on just like constantly changing narrative that seems to be playing out in real time. So my question for you to start is just uh, how do you keep up with it? And maybe compare, you started writing in 90, 1999 full-time? Yes. yes. So maybe compare how you follow the news now compared to, compared to where you, when you started in, in 99 before, before Facebook even started. Yeah, I, I'm uh, unusual, uh, I think. For someone who is interested in politics generally, and uh, particularly for a journalist, in that I don't spend all day um, watching Twitter or Facebook or uh, chasing whatever the latest revelation is. Uh, I may be biased um, because I'm now in the business, but I think the curating function of a newspaper or a magazine is remains extremely valuable and is greatly underrated. Uh, Most of us don't have to know all of these stories in process, each minute uh, maneuver within them. Uh, And oftentimes, the initial reporting is skewed or at best incomplete. Um, So I actually am relatively comfortable uh, doing whatever it is I'm doing that day to prepare and research in depth for a particular column and catching up uh, with a with the newspapers that I do read um, that do curate, that look at everything out there and tries to digest what's most important and to provide a fuller story than trying to catch it uh, drop by drop as it unveils itself. And then if it's something like, um, 
I was interested this week in the uh, court decision. Didn't make your list, but it also <laughs> happened. The, the court decision oh, striking yeah. down uh, the Trump's effort, Trump's administration's effort to defund sanctuary cities. Well, that's a subject that interested me because it's something about local control and separation of powers. So I read the news story, but then I went and actually read the judge's decision. And that way I've got the complete story as to why the judge did what he did. And that's sort of the way I, I like to do it rather than chasing it drop by drop. I prefer to have someone curate, scan the environment for me, and then delve into depth in the things that interest me. So what about something as big as the tax bill, which is 500 pages? I know you like to read the, you know, the original source as much as you can. Or something like that. You have. I mean, it seems like you have to would rely on other things. It's well, not not entirely. There are um, section by section summaries of um, the bills, at least as they were presented to the committees. Um, those aren't five hundred pages. They're more like eighty to one hundred and twenty pages. So uh, what I do in a situation like that, I will read the section-by-section section summary, and then if there are ambiguities in those descriptions or things that I want to check out, I did this particularly with Obamacare, I will actually go to the bill itself and read those sections. I um, simply am unwilling, in most cases, to rely on the analysis of others uh, rather than um, going to the original sources and reaching my own judgment. I think it makes it so much so hard for the, for the rest of us. I, I was having a conversation this week over the phone with a buddy of mine who doesn't, doesn't read these too closely. And it's like, you got one person saying, especially on something like taxes where you can take numbers and, and do different interpretations based on, different projections and you can hear one person saying it's a tax cut for the middle class and you hear the whole circus of people saying no it's the exact opposite of that it is raising basically robbing poor poor middle class people and giving it all to to corporations how how is an ordinary person supposed to come to their own conclusions i guess besides reading it, it, these stories. It, it is, well, read my column, I guess, because <laughs> I addressed that point uh, directly. And the answer is it does both. Mm -hmm. um, for about eight years, it provides a significant tax break to the middle class. Uh, and then to comport with the requirements of the budget resolution, um, those things, uh, the, the individual income tax breaks uh, disappear after eight years. But, uh, and, and I certainly wouldn't, I mean, my approach is for someone who is professionally engaged. It's, 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 it can only be done by someone whose job it is to do something like this. Uh, I would recommend identifying on both the left and the right uh, uh, think tanks uh, whose analysis may have a particular point of view, uh, but who are pretty solid uh, in terms of being fair with the numbers. Um, for my column, for example, I used the numbers uh, developed by the Tax Policy Center, which is a joint effort of the Brookings Institution, uh, Brookings Institution and uh, the Urban Institute, uh, 
they tend to be left-leaning, but I have found their research to be credible. I would also suggest the Tax Foundation, for example, as um, more of a conservative organization, but also pretty good researchers. So for someone who is, for that you also have to be deeply politically interested, but for those who are deeply politically interested, I think the tank, think tanks are the best sources of uh, more in-depth uh, analysis and information, and the key is to ensure that you get it from both sides. Right. And by doing that, you can sort of ferret out uh, where reality lies. Yeah, because, I mean, it's so easy just to see something that, that seems funny or emotional and just kind of give, give it a little retweet or, or like it or kind of get influenced by... Because um, that's, that's one thing about the social media age today is as soon as it seems like it's while you're seeing the news stories, you're also simultaneously seeing everyone else's perceptions of that news stories through your social media, which you can't help. uh, You kind of automatically that gets filtered through your, through your mind and shapes your perception of, uh, of the news. uh, So the old school days, old school, like 15 years ago, you'd have to read a, (laughs) read a newspaper or magazine and, and, the news would come out the next day or even watching a nightly nightly show. You'd think maybe we'd have more informed public with all this stuff. Um, but how do you see it? Do you think it's, it's good or bad mix of both to have, uh, to have this dynamic? You've got so many sources sharing their own thoughts that you see all the time. Also like competing news, news companies competing for people's attention and also having just the immediate, information at your fingertips, not just available, but in your in the palm of your hand at all times. I'm a uh, very light consumer of social media. Um, so I'm, uh, I don't necessarily have the best perspective on how it is influencing the way and the extent to which uh, people get informed. Uh, my instincts are uh, that Uh, more information is better. And uh, the ability to have access to original sources, which when I began in 1999, was far more difficult than it is uh, today, uh, is uh, very, very good. Mm -hmm. Um, Social media is relatively new. Uh, So I think that over the course of time, people will learn to be more disciplined in the way that they uh, use social media and the amount of time that they devote to being informed through social media as opposed to using social media to alert oneself uh, to an issue and then reaching for uh, more in-depth, dispassionate uh, analysis. I suspect as a species we're going through a learning curve uh, and given how much anxiety, uh, heavy consumption of social media among those who are highly politically interested seems to cause, uh, my guess is that more disciplined approaches will develop and become more prevalent over time. Yeah, and as an educator, we might have it backwards right now. Every school I know of, they're fighting to get the kids to put away their phones I feel the same way. I'm telling, I probably say it 300 times a day at a low count to put away our phone, put away our phone. 
uh, <clears throat> but maybe we should be saying, get out your phone. Let's learn how to find good information on here. Let's let's learn how to find good good sources from bad sources and how you detect fake you know fake stories and and good sources. Maybe maybe we'll get we'll get caught up there because I know I mean just there are some skills that are not going to change with technology, but in terms of the source of information, how you find information, that's already totally changed. I think uh, one of the biggest effects to me is I feel like it warps our ability to feel, just to feel what stories are more important than others. So rather than picking up a newspaper and you got the big headline and what's on the front page and what what's on the first couple pages, rather than having that visible, everything feels super important. Every little thing that's trending feels urgently important. Well, and everyone's looking for clicks. Exactly. Uh, so they try to hype uh, the extent of importance and the sense of outrage that they can cause. Yeah. And this, and just to zoom into the, the latest on the Russian, the Russian story, engaging the importance of that. Sometimes I, when I'm talking to my students, I'll, I'll um, try to frame it like, what is this going to look like 100 years from now? You know, 150 years from now, when you're reading a textbook or you have your textbook like downloaded onto your mind or something <laughs> by that point, what's you know what what are they going to talk about during this time period? And there'll be a lot about the election of 2016, um, but the Russian story will be uh, even if I mean it's not over, it's continued. But that's going to be a major um, influence on this. And this week, Michael Flynn. Uh, Trump's national security advisor was uh, indicted, charged by Robert Mueller of lying to the FBI, and he's cooperating with the uh, with the investigation. Um, and our second our second podcast ever, we did a whole show on on the Russia story. I don't even mention Flynn. There's just so much. So I think it just shows you how much to the story there is. Um, that we did a whole episode on on Russia without mentioning Flynn, who might be the central kind of figure in this investigation. Um, so, of course, uh, like everything does, social media, every, news outlets blow blow everything up about um, about this. You might think if you just read um, left leaning media that Trump is about ready to to be impeached right now, and that we should be you know, getting used to practicing President Pence's name. What about you? How, um, how are there any more alarm bells ringing now? Or what, how do you gauge the seriousness of the charge? Well, I, I am skeptical uh, of um, the claim that the Trump campaign uh, colluded with the Russian government to influence the outcome of the 2016 election. Uh, and uh, this particular indictment reinforces my skepticism about uh, the Mueller investigation. Uh, once again, this has nothing to do with collusion during the election. Uh, this was a contact that Flynn says he was asked to make uh, by uh, Trump uh, after the election when he was president-elect. Now, president-elects have to walk fine lines about influencing foreign policy before they actually take office. Uh, 
but there's nothing untoward or unsurprising about reaching out to uh, important countries uh, that the president will be dealing with uh, after he is inaugurated. Uh, one of the mysteries to me is why Flynn felt obligated to lie uh, about the nature of the conversation and to downplay it. Now, it's an entirely possible that I am wrong, uh, that uh, such collusion did take place, and uh, that Flynn uh, knows about it. Uh, one of the interpretations of this by those who believe that Mueller is going about this the right way is that you try to turn people, and, and this is something that they had Flynn dead to rights on. He lied to the FBI about the nature of the conversation. Um, the question is, does he... The, there's two questions. Was there collusion, and does Flynn know about it? And those are things that we simply can't know. As I say, I remain a skeptic. The fact that he lies, how big, the fact that he did lie to you, how, how telling is that in terms of it, the only reason you lie is if you had something serious to hide? Well, Flynn did have serious things to hide. Um, a failure to uh, register and report as some of his interactions with foreign governments and... Uh, it appears that he had some business dealings. Um, it's clear that Flynn was a Wheeler dealer. Uh, he shouldn't have ever had the position in the campaign he had as a foreign policy advisor to Trump. Uh, he was a disastrous choice to be a national security advisor. Um, but whether uh, there was anything, whether there's anything other than him being a Wheeler dealer, uh, that there was, uh, and, and that he knows things uh, that will bring uh, other people down. We don't know. It, it Certainly, I would have to concede that uh, given what there is out there with Flynn, allowing him to plead to this particular low-level charge uh, would indicate that at least the prosecutors think uh, he has valuable information that implicates others. And the other big question came to us more from, from a tweet also when Trump said that he, in his tweet, he said he knew about the lie to the FBI um, investigation. He knew about Flynn's lie to the FBI when he fired Flynn, which would mean that he also knew about that when he fired Comey. And so that brings up, is that firing based on the more we're learning, is that obstruction of justice, which would be the, the most serious accusation. But there have also been uh, reports um, of confidential briefings that Comey gave uh, to uh, congressional committees in which uh, he is reported to have said that the FBI had decided not to pursue this particular charge uh, against Flynn. When, uh, do you know when, what, when that was? Uh, obviously before he got fired. Uh, um, so uh, th there's, I mean, obviously Flynn uh, was someone of uh, questionable uh, judgment and character uh, who... Um, shouldn't have been given the level of trust that he should have gotten. 
but I remain a skeptic that there was collusion. Uh, and I think it's very difficult to say that a president who has authority to fire an FBI director, if he chooses to exercise that, is engaged in obstruction of justice. How much... I'll go through just a quick timeline here, because I was going to... The question I'll get to is how much evidence of that would be needed to flip people enough to, to assume that Trump did do obstruction of justice? Because it was... Um, I mean, before the before the the transition, before Trump's inauguration, um, Obama warned Trump about uh, about Flynn. Uh, it was um, January twenty fourth uh, when the FBI had a conversation with Flynn. It was uh, January two days later, January twenty sixth, when Yates had a conversation. Uh, Sally Yates was the acting uh, Department of uh, Department acting attorney general at the time, told um, the Trump administration uh, to be careful because they thought that Flynn was lying to them about his contacts uh, with these other countries. And uh, no one knows why, but it took 18 more days for Flynn to, when they found that information, for Flynn to to get fired or to leave. and um, it was shortly after that, uh, after um, Flynn was fired, when, when Comey has, has said that Trump asked him um, to stop the Flynn investigations. His, his words was, um, he, he got, Trump got Comey in a room alone, which was unusual for an FBI um, director, and he asked Comey if he could stop the Flynn investigation. Um, and Comey described saying, that he didn't he didn't agree to do that. He's kind of a little bit coy about it to Trump. And then in May, that's when Trump fired Comey, um, and he he said in his own words that that was on his mind. That he was just thinking to himself. He gave a couple different explanations, but he was thinking to himself, "I just I just don't like this thing as a witch hunt, and I just want to get rid." He said that, and and now he's now tweeted out that um, he did maybe know about the FBI um, lie. So I guess how much, to me that sounds like, okay, you, you, that sounds to me like you were trying to stop the, you were trying to get rid of the Russian investigation. And to me, that's like pretty textbook definition of obstruction of justice. How much weight or evidence need, there, does there need to be for other people, especially politicians, even Republican politicians, to come to that same conclusion. If uh, the president had told someone to lie to the FBI or conceal evidence to the FBI, that would be a clear case of obstruction of justice. Expressing an opinion or a preference uh, about uh, a particular uh, investigation um, without ordering a particular uh, outcome or trying to, again, tell someone to lie or conceal evidence um, uh, falls, I think, a little short. And I think certainly a president exercising his right to fire someone who works for him um, doesn't constitute obstruction of justice. 
So if we know, if what we know is all there is, uh, I don't think it rises to obstruction of justice. I think you would have to have the president telling someone to lie to the FBI or to conceal evidence from the FBI uh, in order to reach the conclusion that the president had uh, unequivocally uh, obstructed justice. All right. How do you think this compares to um, the Nixon-Watergate situation? You hear a lot of people making different comparisons uh, to that. For you, I guess we can circle back to you to talk about talk about the media. How is uh, in terms of the media covering the Russian story now compared to how the media covered the Nixon Watergate thing, and how how long did it take for people to to come to the conclusion that he was undeniably a crook who was obstructing justice? And does that have any worthwhile comparison? I think. Uh, do you think for what's going on right now? Um, at Watergate was largely broken by one media outfit, the uh, the Washington Post. Um, that's very different than today, where every <laughs> every media outlet, uh, large, medium, and small, are constantly in search of stories about Trump and Russian connections. Um, so it's actually more inflamed today than it was then, at least certainly at this stage uh, of the investigation and the sequence of events. Um, Richard Nixon did uh, actively engage in covering things up, uh, not expressing preferences, uh, he did fire uh, people, um, uh, but he was actively engaged in coming up with stories, misdirections, uh, uh, misinformation, um, and he said it on tape. He was taping himself yeah. while he was doing that. Yeah. Uh, so uh, at least so far, um, I think it's uh, very different. But as I say, I will openly uh, admit that my skeptic, my skepticism, may prove to have been unwarranted. But, my, but I continue to believe, given how leaky everyone has been in the CIA and the FBI and even Mueller's uh, office, that if there was any firm evidence of active collusion during the campaign by the Trump campaign and the Russian government, I got to believe it would have leaked by now. It seems like the Mueller's operation is pretty tight, no, with, with leaks? I mean, no one saw the Flynn thing. Well, the no, they, they've all been... Uh, there, there's always... There, there have been stories a day or two in advance of uh, the indictments before they have happened. There are stories about documents that his office uh, has subpoenaed. Uh, it's certainly tighter uh, than the FBI and the CIA was before the appointment of the special prosecutor, uh, but it's still, I think, in uh, 
unreasonably leaky operation. And to you, the smoking gun is not, it's going to be hard to pin down obstruction of justice for firing Comey, yet the old FBI director. But you see the smoking gun maybe as we see evidence that Trump was coordinating with the Russians to influence the campaign. Yeah. That's going to be the death knell right there. Yes, if there, I I believe that if there is evidence that surfaces that uh, demonstrates uh, by a preponderance of the evidence, not even by a reasonable doubt, as you'd have to prove in a court of law, that the Trump campaign actively uh, colluded and conspired with the Russian government to obtain or disseminate adverse information about Hillary Clinton and her campaign, um, then I do believe Republicans in Congress will finally do what many on the left are calling for, which is to impeach the president. But here's my worry, and here's why I think the attacks on the First Amendment and the media do have a significant influence, is because I feel like if that happened right now, let's say that evidence came out right now, I think you see a full-scale total denial by Trump, even if I mean, even if there was tapes. You know, he's denying, he's like handing out the tapes. No, even if there's hard evidence, he's in total disreality, and he's got his people and media outlets that, that buy into it and totally shift the narrative. So my worry is that you might, let's say there is a evidence, hard evidence that comes out, you're just going to see a total denial by Trump and the and the right-wing media, and to give enough Republicans cover to deny it themselves. Well, we, re, the Republican electorate never turned on Richard Nixon. It was uh, instead the Republican members of Congress, led in significant part by two Arizonans, uh, John Rhodes, the House Minority Leader, and Barry Goldwater as a U.S. Senator, uh, who... Um, concluded from the evidence that the president had to go. Uh, And I, even though Trump might do that, and there might be a very hardcore of Trump supporters that would uh, accept that denial, I believe that the members, the elected Republican members of Congress, uh, would uh, be, uh, would look at such evidence seriously uh, and act upon it uh, even if it was difficult uh, with a, a lot of their core constituents. I hope you're right, but you're right that we don't, this is still, this is still playing out, but I think it's always good to, to kind of gauge, uh, gauge your views and, and, and others uh, that consume media a little bit more cautiously um, just to kind of gauge that perspective versus the, kind of the avalanche of things that you that you hear from all over the place. So let's just finish it finish it there. Thanks thanks very much uh, for listening. Um, if you're not a subscriber yet, you can subscribe to us uh, on the app. And also look for um, Robert Rob Columns. Uh, he's got one uh, just yesterday if you want to read more about uh, his take on on taxes and he mentions the why the filibuster is um, one of the main culprits in the misunderstanding and the, in the different interpretations of the tax bill and also uh, has one out on um, Friday about, about Jerusalem and Trump um, deciding to recognize 
the capital um, at Jerusalem. So thank you.